Hello everyone, and welcome to Walking with the Tengu, a podcast exploring classic texts for the modern martial artist. Today we're going to get started on the first chapter of the Tengu Geijutsu Ron. We'll see how far we get, as I may have to break this into multiple parts. The story starts off with the samurai thinking that he should head over to Mount Kurama, where Minamoto Yoshitsune allegedly learned the deepest secrets of swordsmanship, and then went on to defeat a big bad bandit chief and his band of evildoers. The man laments that even though he's been committed to his art and spent years in practice, he still feels he lacks mastery. He resolves that, to crack this, he's going to head into the mountains and find the Tengu. Now you may recall from episode 2, What's a Tengu Anyway?, that Minamoto Yoshitsune was kind of a big deal and has a bunch of legends about Tengu wrapped up in his own story. Mount Kurama itself has also long been associated with Tengu in the martial arts. So, the man heads up, following through. Hikes deep into the mountains, finds a rock to sit on, and starts meditating. He then begins to call for the Tengu over and over. Apparently this went on for days with no answer. Then, one night, something changes. A big wind comes up, and things start to get weird. Tengu-like creatures are seen among the clouds fighting with each other. The sense I get here is that it's more that they're practicing, sparring, rather than engaged in deadly combat. After the sparring practice, the Tengu settle into the branches of a tree and start to chat with each other. It's unclear to me at this point whether they are intentionally revealing themselves to an intrepid listener, or if he just happened to pick the right rock near the right tree to meditate on and got lucky when he stayed there long enough to hear their conversation. Either way, one of the Tengu starts off by stating a variety of Buddhist, Taoist, and Confucian platitudes, and then asserts that swordsmanship, remember, you can just replace swordsmanship with martial arts here, that swordsmanship is, in the end, just a matter of winning or losing. That when extrapolated further, this is just a function of the mind. One way to take this, and it is the way I interpret what is being said here, is that a battle or confrontation can be decided before even beginning simply by the culmination of all the things that lead up to that moment. In other words, your attitude and mindset as it approaches training, conditioning, strategy, and everything else in so many ways decides who wins or loses before you even know a conflict is coming. The Tengu says that it is difficult for a beginning student to really understand this and that for this reason, and I quote here, the teaching of the men of old followed the self-nature of form and thoroughly covered technique in every way possible, end quote. Now, there's a concept in the Japanese martial arts, at least in the styles I've practiced, that delineates between technique, waza, and principle, gensoku. These words work the same in English as they do in Japanese. Thus, a technique is an expression of principle. If you know and understand a principle in your art, you can find ways to apply it that have no name and no specific technique associated with it. You just understand how it works. The ability to do this is what separates a beginning student from an advanced student. The beginning student needs to perform a specific technique as a part of their practice. To find success, they need to perform all the specific details to get the technique. An advanced student doesn't have to. I find this in myself where, at first, I have to slowly and deliberately walk myself through a technique, trying and usually failing to remember all the details that make it work. Over time, in my case usually years, I have gotten to a point where I can find the principles of angles, leverage, timing, and body mechanics of a particular technique start to disappear, and I can just feel when to do something without deliberately thinking it out ahead of time. 
This is the context with which I am reading the Tengu's words here. He's saying that martial arts teachers use technique to communicate principles, as this is the natural way to learn such things. I often find in classic texts that certain things are considered self-evident as observations about reality, and at times conclusions, such as this one, are presented as such. And it's curious here, as the Tengu says that these teachers of old would teach without using violence on their students, helping their students to correct their structures and bodies, and that through this practice the students were able to understand the purpose of the techniques. We are told that the highest principles can be contained within techniques, but that technique is cultivated by our chi. Now, this is probably the first time we've tackled this difficult word, chi, since I addressed it in the introductory episode. There's so much baggage that comes with saying a word like chi. Most people seem to have it in their heads whenever someone says chi that they mean some magical, invisible power. And whereas there are definitely people out there who use the word chi to mean just that, I would argue that here, this is not what the author means. You have to remember that in this time, there wasn't a, as deep an understanding of the biomechanical means by which our bodies work. In this case, you can take Chozanshi's use of the word chi to mean something like the unity of mind, breath, and body, everything all working together. Now, he may have thought that chi was some ephemeral thing that actually existed in our body, but it really doesn't matter as what he's describing is the very real process by which training in a particular technique alters our body, builds neural structures in our brain, and is linked to so many different parts of our existence all working together. Breath, sensory timing, musculature, posture, even memory and instinct. How do we even begin to understand and communicate the chemical and electrical nature of instinct? Are we a less committed and honest martial artist if we abstract away the complexity and instead use the word instinct to refer to a very complex and difficult idea that, nevertheless, we can all experience and understand. You get the point, I hope. To quote, The highest principles are contained within techniques and follow the self-nature of the utensil. As a side note, I prefer the word tool here instead of utensil. As you become skillful in technique, chi harmonizes, and the principle of the place that contains that chi is manifested on its own. When this has completely penetrated the mind, and no more doubts remain, technique and principle become one. Chi is under control. Your spirit is settled, and, and practical application is completely unobstructed. Notice he talks about practical application here. Many people today seem obsessed with the idea that the traditional arts don't care or have lost practicality. While these criticisms are often justified, too often I suspect they equate classic works as being in the same category. They forget that these arts or styles were modern for their time, in an environment and time that had a very different relationship with violence than I suspect many of us can really understand today. What's being written here is something I've experienced in the modern art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'll learn a technique like a basic trap and roll, Without getting too technical, this is a technique that is used to reverse being in the very bad position of having a person sitting on top of you. Your opponent ends up on the bottom and you on top. There are many ways to use this technique. If the person's just sitting there, if they're choking you, punching you, has you in a headlock, and on and on. But no one teaches all those variations on a student's first day. They'll likely pick just one and focus on that. Then, over time, they'll learn 
about other more nuanced methods for acquiring the same reversal of position that used the same principles that were communicated in the earlier version of the technique. Thus, there are many different techniques that all utilize the same principle. What Shizanshi is describing through the Tengu's discourse is this idea, that I first learned the technique, and with time and practice, my body and mind begin to harmonize not only in how my own body works, but also in how my opponent's body works. If his weight is leaning forward, I can execute a trap and roll with greater ease. If he is leaning back, it becomes harder, but not impossible with some additional modifications. The principle gets executed either way, regardless of the momentary details that may change the scenario from the original context that the technique was taught in. However, all of this doesn't matter if I don't learn how to use my entire body in unison, specifically the hips, in conjunction with my breath, and then timing, the move with my opponent's body for optimal execution. So when Chozanshi says that as I become more skillful in technique, chi harmonizes in the principle of the place that contains the chi is manifested on its own, he's simply describing this process. Complex when we dig into it, but something so simple that I suspect most of us who have spent some time training will have experienced it, even if we could not articulate it with words. That's all for today. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review or rating wherever you find your podcasts so as to help the show reach more people like yourself. You can find us on social media, and if you'd like to hear more, go to patreon.com slash walkingtengu to help cover the cost of making this podcast. Even the smallest amount helps. If you want to buy one of these books, check out our reading list at walkingtengu.wix, that's w-i-x dot com slash tengu. You'll need to scroll down to the entry titled reading list, but by buying a book through those links, you'll also be able to support the show. Thank you for listening, and talk to you again soon.